Hello everybody, Julian Charles here of themindrenewed.com coming to you, well, after a summer break from the depths of the Lancashire countryside here in the UK. And today to, uh, and oh, I'm going to do this. I, I didn't know whether I would, but I'm going to do this. To kick off the autumn programming here at TMR, sorry about that, um, <laughs> I'm very pleased indeed to welcome to the programme none other than the footballing legend, the one and only Matt Letizier, who throughout his professional club career played for Southampton Football Club here in the UK, won eight caps for England, which in my ignorance of footballing matters, I'm going to have to ask about what that means in a minute, um, is frequently described as something of a footballing genius, um, as a midfielder, forwarder and celebrated by UEFA uh, as one of the top penalty scorers of all time and often referred to by adoring Southampton fans as Le God, which is another thing I'm going to have to ask about in a minute. Um, many thanks indeed, Matt, for uh, agreeing to join us on TMR. My pleasure, Julian. Good to talk to you. Ah, it's great to be speaking with you. And as I said before the uh, the recording started here, uh, you are probably the most famous person that I've ever spoken to on this program. So um, is it right? I, I shouldn't be afraid of you. Is that right? Uh, you, you certainly shouldn't be afraid of me, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so um, I'm going to be asking you today you know, about your career, but also, importantly for this programme, about your stance over the last couple of years or so with respect to the UK government and indeed internationally, the response to this so-called pandemic. Um, sure. And the fact that you've been you know, quite outspoken about that and how that's affected you and what perhaps you, you think about things now. Um, yeah. But uh, before we leave the business of football, um, I'm going to ask, you so what's all this business about le god could you, t- could you tell us about that because we, we are a christian program here but <laughs> what's all this business about le god yeah i'm not i'm not quite sure how that how that all started um kind of during the early to mid 90s um southampton football fans um became quite fond of me and the fact <laughs> that i was scoring a i was scoring a lot of goals and um and performing miracles in in terms of keeping Southampton in the Premier League uh, and I think that's kind of where the uh, Le God uh, name came from and it was all uh, all very tongue-in-cheek and it was all all taken that way sure, uh, sure. and so um, yeah it's uh, it's just a, a nickname that kind of stuck down the years really <laughs> yeah yeah so you um you you've got this uh reputation as being an ace penalty scorer as well now i don't know if this is true but i i read that you did 49 penalties in major games and you only lost one penalty is that right uh it was i, I took 48 penalties and, and missed one yeah so it was uh, it was 47 out of 48 so it's a ah, right. it's a pretty good wow. record that I'm, wow. I'm quite proud of yeah absolutely and go on, what, what what does caps mean eight caps for england so it just means it just means appearances just means how many times you played for england that, that that's all that means and you actually get a, a, a physical cap um <laughs> with the uh, with the name of the team that you played against on it so uh yeah, that's where the the caps come from. Ah, so you you literally have eight caps hanging on the wall somewhere. Uh, well, I actually have uh, seven caps because um, during a qualifying campaign for the World Cup, um, you get one cap for the campaign, and they put each of the name of the teams that you played against on that cap. So you don't actually <laughs> right. you don't get one for every single time you play. You get one for. Uh, every friendly appearance or every tournament that you play in, you get a cap with all the, the teams that you played against. Mm-hmm. Well, as I, again, as I said to you before, I am probably the most ignorant person about footballing matters that you've ever spoken to. I know that James Dellingpole, well, James Dellingpole did say that he was, but uh, I, I I beat him. I'm sure I beat him on this. So uh, <laughs> I would ask you a few questions about this. So my first one uh, is, is football the game with the round ball? 
That's the one, yeah. Excellent. <laughs> um, and um, could you tell us then um, how you got the footballing bug, so to speak? I mean, was it a big thing in your family growing up? Yeah, it was a huge thing in my family. Uh, wow. I had a very sporty family growing up in Guernsey. So my dad was a, a very good footballer. Uh-huh. Uh, I had three older brothers who were four, six and seven years older than me, uh, who were all very good footballers. Um, two of them actually turned down the chance to become professional footballers uh, before I had my opportunity Um, and so yeah I mean sport was was kind of everything growing up wasn't just football it was cricket um, tennis (laughs) hockey table tennis badminton I played all those sports growing up and uh, yeah it's just sport has just dominated my entire life really Oh, wow. So you'd even beat me at badminton. That's something I do play from time to time, but you beat me at that as well. This is not fair. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Did you never get put off by, you know, injuries and things? That's the one thing that put me off with football. I remember distinctly one very cold winter's day, wet. I thought I'd go for tackling somebody and they just kicked the ball at my legs and it stung. And I thought, well, I don't like this. So were you you never never put off? Um, Not really. I mean, I wasn't one of those players that liked uh, tackling people. So I I tended to avoid tackles at uh, at all costs if I possibly could. Um, But yes, I I, I certainly didn't like getting injured, but I had enough ability at the game to, uh, to make sure I could avoid most of the injuries. Yeah, I suppose that's the big difference between us. <laughs> You're actually very talented. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so you um, you signed up for Southampton, I believe, was it 1985, really young? You were 17. Yeah. Uh, you became professional, was it just within the year or about a year later? Yeah, so I, I joined Southampton in 1985 straight from school, so I was 16 wow. um, mm-hmm. when I joined Southampton. Uh, and then I made my debut a just over a year later at the age of 17 uh, and then I turned professional when I uh, on my 18th birthday I signed my first professional contract wow and you stayed with Southampton throughout your career I did um, indeed yes well, well, 16 what? years yeah so so why did you do that because I've you know I've read that there were you know top teams were trying to get hold of you but um you stayed with Southampton why did you do that I did um Various reasons at various times, really. Um, uh, firstly, I, I loved living down here on the on the south coast. Hmm. Um, it's yeah. it's pretty convenient to get back to my home of Guernsey, where I was brought up in the Channel Islands. Hmm. Um, uh, but also, uh, you know, I felt I I owed something to Southampton. You know, they gave me my chance to be a professional footballer, which is which is what I wanted to do since I was a little boy. Um, hmm. And so I felt like I I owed them something in return. And uh, you know, the fans at Southampton always treated me brilliantly. Uh, I felt like I owed them. Um, and so, yeah, that's, you know, wow. kind of all those reasons. Uh, and there were, there were family reasons as well at, at different sure. times. Um, so, yeah, I, I have no regrets, certainly, about spending my whole career at Southampton, none whatsoever. Mm. And some say that you, you basically kept Southampton in the running. <laughs> uh, well, there was a few seasons where I scored quite a lot of goals and we were, you know, we were always kind of through those seasons, we were struggling at the bottom of the table and, uh, and looking like we might get relegated. And uh, somehow we managed to, uh, we managed to escape uh, relegation, you know, the whole time during my career. So I played my whole 16 years in the, in the top flight of, of English football, which is again, something that I'm very proud of. Mm. Uh, as I said, uh, you're described as a genius by some people. Go on, do you own that that uh, for yourself? Would you say you're a genius? Um, <laughs> I, I guess it depends what your definition of genius is, really. Um, yeah. I, I knew that I was uh, very talented at football. Mm. I knew I had a, a lot more ability than, than most of the people that I was playing against. Mm. Um, but, you know, geniuses come in, uh, in, in lots of different 
shapes and sizes and forms. So uh, yeah, uh, I, I I knew that I was very good. I'm I'm not sure I, I qualify as a genius. <laughs> well, I was I thought well I'll check out the definition of this. I went to the Cambridge Dictionary and uh, here we go. It says very great and rare natural ability or skill especially in a particular area such as science or art. And then I thought, why not sport as well? I mean, yeah. Well, I think I think sport can be can be described as an art at times. Yeah. I'd, I'd go along with that. Yeah, yeah, actually, that is really interesting because uh, I've heard people talk about, you know, the beautiful game. Indeed. You know, and, um, you know, I've I noticed people watching football and they'll see a fantastic goal or a fantastic pass or whatever it is, and they'll go, whoa, you know, as if they're having an aesthetic <laughs> experience. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think so. That I think that's right. Um Oh, yeah. Before we leave the footballing thing, one thing that I've got to ask you, really got to ask you, and you're going to hate me for this question. Sorry about this. <laughs> <laughs> you, do you know what it is? You know what I've got? I've got, I've got no. What's the offside rule? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I know that's so cliched, but I have never heard oh, right. a, a decent explanation of that. Can you explain it to me? <laughs> uh, it, I mean, it, it's, it's a fairly complicated uh, situation, but basically... <laughs> Um, there's got to be uh, you as the attacking player. You have to have two of the defending team uh, in between yourself and the goal uh, when you get the ball uh, for you to be onside. I mean, that's the simplest version. There are little caveats to that, but that's kind of the simplest way to explain it. I'm not sure I followed even that, actually. <laughs> oh, well, there we go. Um, and uh, after you, you retired from actual footballing you went into broadcasting didn't you and i think that's probably where i uh, encountered you as a familiar face on the tv um how long have you done that for uh so i was on um soccer saturday from uh pretty much when i retired um for the first couple of years after i retired i was doing the the show occasionally so that was 2002 uh, and then in 2005, uh, I signed a contract uh, with them and I was under contract to Sky through to 2020. Mm-hmm. And then you were let go by Sky, is that right? Uh, yes, I was let mm-hmm. go. Uh, the show um, went in a different direction. Uh, there was new owners that bought uh, Sky, uh, a company called Comcast, uh, and they were very big on uh-huh. diversity. Uh, uh, and so... Um, they took the show in a different direction. It meant that the three three of us regulars that were on the show every week uh, were were sacked. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, this brings us to the whole question of COVID nineteen, the government's response, and all this sort of thing. So, um, when did you first sense that there was something wrong about this COVID narrative? You know, what kind of things tipped you off that not everything was above board, as it were? Um, I think probably the first thing that uh, made me suspicious were the videos that were coming out of China oh, yeah. uh, of, of people collapsing in the streets, <laughs> yeah. uh, which just seemed so bizarre uh, and so unrealistic. Mm. Um, the fact that those videos kind of went viral and all of a sudden everyone was panicking just made me go, hang on a minute, have people lost their minds here? Mm. That's not real. Mm. Uh, so that was the first thing that made me suspicious. Uh, and that was, you know, obviously before we had any lockdowns or anything yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm amazed looking back at those videos. There's one guy, isn't there, who falls forward flat on his face. Falls forward. And he puts and, his hands uh, yeah, he puts I mean, his hands out. To stop him. Yeah, I yeah. know. It was just yeah. bizarre that people yeah. actually fell for that nonsense. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, that was the first thing that made me go, hang on a minute. And then I just thought, there's something not right here. So I'm going to mm. do a little bit of digging and... and uh, 
you know, all the stuff that was coming out early on, all the evidence that was available from the Diamond Princess cruise ship, oh, yeah. uh, which had an outbreak on it, everything was pointing to the fact that this was a, a virus that only affected the, the very elderly or or the people with comorbidities. You know, it didn't really affect healthy people uh, hardly at all, you know, mm. in, in minute numbers, uh, and certainly not in numbers that were big enough to uh, have the reaction that we had from our governments in terms of, you know, closing down businesses and schools and stuff. It was just, uh, I just thought it was uh, absolutely disgusting. Mm. And to this point, you know, now two and a half years down the line, uh, we're starting to see the the ramifications of uh, uh, of those decisions that were taken in terms of the inflation and uh, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and now they're trying to they're trying to blame it on the war in Russia, when I think we all know that this was coming down the road because it was predicted two and a half years ago um, the decisions that they took, and it was going to have a, a a much bigger impact on people's lives than the actual virus itself. Yeah. Yeah, and of course now we we know. I mean, Rishi Zunak is no favourite person of mine, but uh, from what he has said, you know, we know we actually know now that the cost benefit analysis was not done. I mean, it's no. you were going to be criticised way back for saying such a thing, but uh, yeah, we know that's we know for a fact that's the case now. Yeah. So well, this was really early on. You started to have doubts about this. I mean, did you not go through a that initial process, which I did, and I've admitted to, uh, is you know the first few weeks of you know washing the the doorknob and the uh, the banister and things like that, and, and making sure that things coming in from the shops were were rinsed. And then I started to think, mm, actually, I'm not sure that this is warranted after all. Did you not go through that sort of fear thing to start with? No, 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 it wasn't frightened at all. Uh, I pretty mm-hmm. much um, lived my life as normally as I possibly could. Yeah, uh, I refused to be um, scared into. Uh, doing ridiculous things Mm. Um, and so uh, kind of having looked into things very early on I realized that there was something there was something a little bit more behind this than what we were actually being told so um, yeah and fear is one of the worst things for for your immune system Uh, I don't know if you know that Um, but uh, you know the, the state that that induces is not good for you and basically uh the behavioral insights team uh, on the SAGE committee uh, have admitted to using those fear tactics um, when yes. quite clearly everybody knows that that is not a good place for your immune system to be in. Mm. So they're actually making people's health conditions worse by their messaging and they knew it. Uh, and that for me is a crime against humanity. Mm. Well, you were ahead of the game as you were in football. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah, I was a bit slow on the uptake uh, w- with that when I did initially, uh, you know, take this at face value and then slowly started to piece things together thinking this is not quite right. But you, you were yeah. very early. At, I, think, yeah. I, I think just on that point, I think mm. um, I can completely understand and completely sympathize because the messaging mm. coming through our televisions was just incessant it was Mm. 24 hours a day you couldn't get away from it whether it was the tv whether it was the Mm. radio uh in the print um you know there was there was no escaping it um so it doesn't surprise me and i and i have a lot of sympathy for people who were taken in by what was going on because it Mm. it was uh, a campaign of propaganda where millions hundreds of millions of pounds were spent on brainwashing people into being so frightened so i i have yeah uh, i have a lot of sympathy for people who were 
taken in by it early on. Mm, absolutely. And it's interesting because, you know, I was aware of the propaganda going on, especially the sort of wartime propaganda, you know, we're in a war together and this is the enemy and all that. I was aware of that. But I did initially think, well, we don't really know what this is, you know. So I was a little bit um, so, wary yeah, so of on, it. On, on yeah, that, sorry, yeah, yeah. Sorry, on, on that mm. point, they, they did know what it was early on. Uh, and they had evidence from the cruise ship, the Diamond Princess, which I mentioned earlier. Yeah. They had evidence of a of a microcosm of that environment uh, isolated. Mm. Uh, they knew exactly what the risks were, but they inflated those risks and made it look made it feel like everybody anywhere in the world was going to be, you know, at risk if they got this virus. Uh, but they knew that that wasn't the case. It wasn't that that was complete fabrication, mm. um, and they inflated the dangerousness of the virus uh, in the early stages. And uh, again, that was just disgusting what they did. Okay, so you spoke out about this largely through Twitter, was it? Yes, hmm. I was only on Twitter at that point. I, I now have a Getter account where I uh, uh-huh. post a, a lot more. It's a, a much more of a, a free speech place, um, yeah. you know, and then yeah. stuff like what Twitter were doing with banning people for, hmm. you know, misinformation <laughs> that they were deeming to be misinformation, which has actually turned out to be the truth. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. companies like Twitter should be shut down for what they did. So you took quite a risk in doing that. What, what kind of reaction did you get from? Well, lots of bots, I suppose, <laughs> yes. attacked you. Attacked you. But what did you? What kind of reactions did you get from real people? If you could distinguish between bots and real people. Um, well, actually, the the difference is quite stark in uh, in what goes on in the real world when I actually meet people face to face, and the conversations that uh, I have with them. Um, those conversations are very different to the conversations that you're having on social media. I realised quite early on that there were bot farms and trolls you know attacking me and my tweets trying to make me feel like i was in the wrong and that i was a bad person and that i'm trying to kill my granny um <laughs> oh, yes. all that kind of stuff um so i realized fairly early on and i stopped interacting with those kind of accounts really it was quite easy to spot which were you know proper accounts and which were the the bots and the trolls in the uh, on the internet so um I kind of tended to voice my opinion then and, and then just leave it and not go back and read the replies because it was not a true reflection of what was happening in the real world. Hmm. Did it worry you being called names, you know, being called a granny killer? And... Did, it, did it worry me? Uh, no. Not upsetting? Uh, no, it upset the people around me. Um, my family and, and things were, were very upset mm. at times at the treatment that I was receiving in the in the press. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. However, given that I'd done my research, given that I, I knew what I knew and I was certain of what was going on, um, the name calling and the attacks in the press uh, actually made no difference to me, quite frankly. Um, I'm a very strong, uh, strong-willed individual. Um, I've taken a lot of abuse during my football career. Right. Uh, I became used to it. I became immune to it. Hmm. Um, and that stood me in very good stead for what I had to cope with these past couple of years. And uh two and a half years down the line i'm still here and i'm still speaking out and uh yeah, yeah very good trying to make yeah. people aware of what's going on yeah there was a nasty piece wasn't there in the mail online which i looked up here so this is from the end of 2021 and you were accused of putting lives at risk <laughs> uh you were following baseless it's always baseless conspiracy theories Baseless conspiracy <laughs> yeah. theories. in fact those, those conspiracy theories a lot of them seem to have come true these last couple of years so yeah, i actually wear the conspiracy theory um slur as a bad of honor these days because the conspiracy theorists have got a lot more right than what the mainstream media have got right and uh, Mm. uh, unfortunately 
the people who listen to the BBC and believe every word that comes out of them, uh, I'm afraid they're the real conspiracy theorists. Yeah, yeah. They, they are, just going back to that thing, they dragged out some academic whose name I don't remember, um, who said, he could be killing people. Yes. If you do not get vaccinated, you're at greater risk, blah, 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 blah. So he could be killing people. It's it's really, really nasty stuff, isn't it? So, I mean, hats off to you for, for not being personally bothered by that. And strangely, that guy that the Daily Mail used actually came from a university that was heavily funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, who oh. make a lot of money out of the vaccine rollout, which is, right. you know, slight conflict of interest <laughs> that they don't tell you about no. when they quote these people in the mainstream media. These people who are quoted in the mainstream media need to have their conflicts of interest called out Mm. um, because it's completely unfair on the people that are reading that, Mm. um, that they're not being given all the information to be able to make an informed decision. And that's what my point has been for the last two and a half years is that everybody should have all the information available to them to be able to make an informed decision. And that hasn't been happening. Yes, indeed. Did you see that supposed documentary? Actually, we talked about it a few weeks back called Unvaccinated that the BBC produced. Oh, Uh, did you you see? Disgusting programme. That that shows the desperation of the the mainstream Mm. media that they have to do programmes like that. It's... uh, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's what they did there, isn't it? They dragged out these experts. And then it was only later that we discovered that they, um, a lot of them had conflicts of interest. And they didn't say that in the programme. No, BBC are not a fair and unbiased corporation, unfortunately. Uh, and that's why I don't pay my TV licence. But if you go to their website, they have a little thing at the, uh, at the bottom saying, you know, why you can trust us? Why you can trust the BBC? <laughs> so, oh, <yeah. laughs> Perhaps the fact that they have to say that should tell us something. That should yeah. put a red flag, a red flag up <laughs> to everybody, indeed. Yes, indeed. Um, all right, so I'm getting the impression that if you had your time all over again, you wouldn't behave any differently. You you would speak out again. I'd probably speak out a lot, a lot more. Uh, to be Could honest, <laughs> a lot more, a lot <laughs> earlier, um, and you know, try and do something to uh, to stem the tide. But unfortunately, when you've got m- mega corporations, worldwide mm. global corporations, uh, who are all in it together. Um, it's quite a strong message that they have to put across. And my my tiny following in comparison on social media, uh, it takes a lot of work to try and get the truth out there um, mm-hmm. when it's when it's so easy to obfuscate the truth uh, through the through the media channels that they operate in. Yes, indeed. All right. So a big thing with you throughout this time has been that people should be able to, you know, should be informed and make decisions for themselves. And you know, this yep. was very much taken from us in so many ways. Um, so uh, what is your position on vaccination? I mean, are you against the use of, I have to ask you this question, are you against all vaccines in principle? I'm not going to use the term anti-vaxxer because it's such a propaganda term. But are you against the use of all vaccines in principle? Um, so I've had um, pretty much every other vaccine I could possibly have had in my life up until this one. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I was, I was certainly up until the age of, you know, I was having the, as a footballer, I probably took the flu jab quite a few times. Uh, I have to say I haven't had the flu jab since I retired from football, which is 20 years now. Uh, and I also have to say in 20 years, I haven't had the flu either. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I've had all my childhood vaccinations, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so to call me an anti-vaxxer for not taking this experimental gene therapy, uh, which they had to change the um, they had to change the definition of the word vaccine mm. to actually allow this the mRNA technology to be called a vaccine. Absolutely. Um, so that was a, a huge red flag for me. Why are they changing the definition of words now mm. just to be able to suit this? 
Um, mm. So I don't actually believe that this is a true vaccination in in the old sense of the word. Um, so I'm definitely not an anti-vaxxer. Uh, however, I will now say that because of what they've done, mm-hmm. um, it has now made me question all the other vaccines. Mm. So I probably now won't take a flu vaccine for the rest of my life. I hadn't done for the last 20 years, not through not through anything, because mm-hmm. it, basically I, I've kind of a relatively healthy person. I don't I don't get ill very often. Um, <laughs> you know, I exercise quite regularly. I'm probably a bit overweight. Um, well, I know I'm overweight. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> I feel in good company if you're slightly overweight. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, but I can. But I, I, I exercise regularly yeah. um, and I, I don't feel the need no. uh, to risk putting something mm. in, in my body. I don't really know mm. what's in it. Um, and if it's really doing me uh, any great good, because um, my trust yes, yes. in the pharmaceutical companies has, has been eroded to pretty much zero. Yes. Uh, and now I'm completely sceptical of yes. anything that the, right. the pharmaceutical company will do. Yes, I'm in exactly the same position. And I have said on this program a few times, it's because of what's happened that I, I mean, again, I'm not anti-vax, I'm not against all of them, but I'm much more suspicious than I used to be. Yes, And so it's going to be a case-by-case basis. If I think a particular uh, vaccine is, yeah. is useful, and I think, yeah, it's, it's got a good track record. Okay, fair enough. But I'm just going to not say, oh, yeah, well, that's been used for you know, for ages and everybody thinks that's safe. And in fact, I think, well, no, I'm going to decide for myself. I'm going to exactly. you know, look into that. And yeah, that's right. That's exactly where I'm at. Yeah. And they've done that, haven't they? You know, they actually produced this, uh, in a sense, they've produced a healthy skepticism in people like us, I think. So you know, the, the flip side of this is there's some benefit in that. Yes. Um, okay. Um, all right. So clearly it's mandatory vaccination. And this has been a, obviously a, a big thing with me as well. This is something that you have uh, opposed particularly yes. during these last couple of years or so. H- have you found people kicking back at you for that position? Because, I mean, that seems an eminently reasonable position to take, really. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, not many. Not not no. many people have, uh, have kind of kicked back against the, the forced the forced injections, especially when, the, when uh, I think people forget um, there's a lot of people very uneducated uh, in the fact that this has uh, been issued under emergency youth author- authorization only. Yes. So they don't they have no idea what the long term effects of this no. vaccine are. So there's no way that you can force people no. to take a medical intervention that they have no idea what the long term impacts of that are. Uh, and that has been a very strong position that I, I've taken yes. um, uh, and one that I think because of the, the kickback from the general public, uh, one that the, the government have, have backtracked on quite a lot. Mm. Uh, and so we need to we need to make sure that that is always the case. Mm. Um, and, and basically they've, they've they try to violate the Nuremberg Code, mm. um, which is a, a crime against humanity in itself. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? Actually, it was that business of safe and effective, which is still going on, isn't it? This meme that's uh, chucked out there. It's, it's the, not the, safe. It, no, effective. absolutely. And uh, I think that in itself was a huge red flag to me in the sense that, as you said, it is openly admitted that they don't know what the long-term effects are. So it is a lie to call it safe. I mean, what else can you call it? It is, <laughs> you know? it is, a, it is a complete fabrication. Yeah. Um, and we've and we know there's, the government have now paid out their first payouts to families of people that have died uh, from the from the vaccination. Mm. So 
they've admitted that somebody has died from this vaccination and yet they are still going out and saying it is safe and effective. Well, it's not safe because somebody has died from it. And it, even if that was one person, that would still make it unsafe because somebody has died from it. So it's an it's an absolute outright total fabrication that they are using safe and effective. Now, if it was effective, it would stop you from getting COVID in the first place yeah. and it would stop you from transmitting COVID onto other people. And it does neither. No. So it's not effective either. So it's not safe and it's not effective. No, and even uh, Boris Johnson admitted that, didn't he, in one of his little he talks. He um, goes down in history. But they still thought they'd get these uh, vaccine passports out as if they were going to make any difference to anything. Um, I think we all now realise that the vaccine passports were a complete diversion <laughs> of what yes. the actual goal of all of this was. And that was to yes. and that was to make everybody trackable with their, with their digital passport, digital yes. ID, vaccine passports uh, and indeed uh, after that we're looking at central bank digital currencies with the elimination of cash yes uh, and once that has happened uh, our lives are over as yes. free human yes. beings interesting totally agree with you it's very much piggybacking on this isn't it all these various interests and when i have discussed this, this with people uh, dr pierce robinson even asking the question as to what extent this was this was coordinated or to what extent this is just sort of uh, opportunism with all these uh, interests jumping on the back of what happened uh, we, yeah. we, don't, we don't really know this. and it's something that needs uh, continual research well it's um, not it's not really even really much of a secret you know klaus schwab yeah, yeah. Prince charles have all come out and said you know we have a small window of opportunity <laughs> to change the world um, yeah. and hopefully that small window is, is closed and, and enough people <laughs> yes. have kicked back that it won't happen oh, but, but isn't that a conspiracy theory oh, <laughs> you know, oh, even yeah. though they, they say it openly and go, go to the website we're still full yeah, conspiracy yeah. theorists for questioning it <laughs> And now the World Economic yeah. Forum are getting a little bit upset that they're taking a lot of criticism. Well, good for them. Mm. There's a lot more coming their way. Don't worry about that. Yeah, well deserved, indeed. Okay, so um, one of the main things that you've been concerned about is these adverse events. I'm not going to call them side effects because that implies we know what's going on here, but certainly adverse events you know, associated with the rollout of these interventions, these medical interventions, um, and particularly with respect to sporting people, footballers, etc. So um, yep. when did you start to become really concerned about what was going on with these events? Well, I watch, uh, as I said before, I've, my life has been dominated by sport. So I, I've not only played a lot of sport, I watch a lot of sport. Hmm. And I've started seeing things on sporting fields of play, which were just so unusual. You know, footballers who were just stopping in the middle of a game and, and dropping down, clutching their chests. Hmm. Um, and it was just something that I'd never witnessed in, in 17 years as a professional footballer. Right. Uh, and I just this is just happening too frequently. What's going on? And then it, I started getting videos sent to me from cricket and from basketball and mm. from all different sports and, and young people, young, fit, healthy people just collapsing. And it just it just wasn't right. These things didn't happen on this scale before. Uh, and it's only started happening since the, the rollout of the vaccine. So uh, I was calling for somebody to actually investigate what was going on. And uh, apparently my, my concern um, for for these people and this investigation meant that, I was, again, I was a conspiracy theorist uh, just because I wanted to find out why all these young, fit, healthy people were collapsing on sports pitches. Now, the, the media are trying to normalise this and saying oh it's always happened don't worry about it turn a blind eye mm. well i know it hasn't um <clears throat> i've been involved in sport a long time uh, and, I, and i know that 
they are not being truthful to themselves um, and they are turning a blind eye. And the only reason why they would turn a blind eye to it is because they know what it is that's causing it and they don't want everyone else to know. And this isn't because you are, there's some sort of selection bias, you're looking for this information, uh, people are sending you stuff and so you're you're getting the impression of a large number of these incidents when they're actually nothing nothing out of the, the normal. You, you're, you're saying you've not seen this, and this is in your own experience, you've not seen like this in, in, before. In my own experience mm. of 17 years as a professional footballer, and not just playing against, but training right. five days a week for 17 years, I didn't see one player that I played with or against mm. have any issue with their heart wow. in my entire career. Not one. Now, I've seen a couple since I've retired. Uh, there was a couple of high-profile incidents with Fabrice Moamba, with uh, Mark Vivian Foe. So, yes, very occasionally it does happen yeah. where there is an underlying problem that people have had with their, with their hearts, um, but never, never on the scale that I've seen it over the last couple of years. Yeah. So why wouldn't you put this down to COVID? I mean, if you're looking at things that have changed in the last couple of years, well, COVID will be obviously the other one to look to. So why do you think it's not just COVID? So that's been, so that's been my point. Mm. My, my point is yes. that we need to have an investigation to find out whether it is COVID yes. or it is the COVID vaccines. Yeah. Or it's something completely different. Mm. My point has always been we need to have an investigation. Why is nobody investigating it? And, mm. and when everybody is turning a blind eye to it, that makes me think, well, why would they turn a blind eye? What's the only reason why they would turn a blind eye? And the only reason I can think of is that they know what it is and they don't want everyone else to know. Yeah. Yeah. So you've not got anywhere with this at all. Nobody's interested. Um, I'm trying to get this at this moment. I'm trying to get a meeting organized with a couple of uh, doctor friends of mine who have mm -hmm. uh, a lot of data on the vaccines mm -hmm. and they wish to present that data uh, to the people at the FA. Um, and so that's where I'm at at the moment in trying to organise a meeting with all these parties, uh, which uh, is proving quite tricky getting everybody's diary together. I see, yeah, uh, so yeah. we're hoping to get a meeting in before the end of this month. Okay, so for those who are not in the UK, that is the Football Association here in the UK. What about UEFA, the uh, the European? Have you have you tried to uh, no, I'm, speak to uh, them? I'm focusing on on this country first. Mm -hmm. uh, I think they're, they're the people that I know, and uh, yeah. uh, and I think once you kind of if we can if we can get into this country and uh, make a difference, uh, then you can start expanding it into into other countries. So you are hopeful then you're going to have something of a listening ear from the FA, do you reckon? Uh, I'm hoping to. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm not sure how open they are to hearing the evidence that they don't want to hear. Mm -hmm. um, the, the problem that you have is that these organisations have been very proactive in promoting the vaccines. Right. Now, if they suddenly do an investigation and it shows up that the vaccines are causing a problem, they then are in a very compromising position because they're the ones that have been pushing it right. so actively uh, and, and they're going to find themselves in a very precarious position. So I don't yeah. think that they'll probably be too keen on hearing mm. uh, the evidence that we've got. Yeah, that's a major problem, isn't it? I mean, my understanding is that there's not been actual... Well, it's not been mandated in any sense, has it? But um, I suppose some people may have felt some sense of coercion. And, There's a lot yeah, of coercion. Right. There's a lot of coercion, yeah. The, the, the football clubs were pushing the mm. players uh, very strongly uh, to get vaccinated. Um, I, I know that from people that I've spoke to within the game. Mm. 
Yeah, so I see that is a barrier for uh, yeah. looking into this uh, potentially. Okay, so do do you have any data on this? I mean, you you have this very strong anecdotal position that you've put here, but do you have data on this? Uh, I I only have anecdotal. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm just going on what my eyes are seeing and from mm. life experience. Mm. Um, but the the doctors um, that uh, want to present the evidence to the FA, they'll they'll have all the data that they wish to present. So uh, yeah. when that's when that meeting has happened, we can then present that data. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think uh, also there is a power to anecdotal evidence or anecdotal information. I mean, I, I very frequently go over to uh, Mark Crispin Miller's blog where he's simply listing, you know, in memory of various people who've um, died or severely injured, you know. Um, and it's just incredible how many of these seem to be uh, blood-related, uh, cardiac-related. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, I think it's worth keeping an eye on that. And, of course, we do know that... Um, these shots do have blood clotting issues, cardiac issues. We do. we do indeed know that the Office of National Statistics, UK Office of National Statistics, looking at uh, non-COVID excess deaths in England and Wales, well, it's higher than it should be. And people are asking questions about that. And uh, Dr. John Campbell, who recently started asking questions about that, had the video removed from YouTube. Surprise, surprise. Indeed. Um, so indeed, there are, there are clearly reasons beyond just the anecdotes to be concerned about this well there's there's a thousand there's over a thousand mm. people a week more dying than what would we would expect to die and uh again where's chris witty and patrick balance with their graphs talking yes. about this one they seem to have disappeared yes. uh, pretty quickly uh now that uh, the excess deaths are, are in the news yeah, so we're concerned about one thing, we're not concerned about the other. Yeah, interesting, isn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah, and of course, all these studies coming out. I, I won't go into de- I'll put these just in the show notes. You know, there's one came out sure. of Thailand, uh, one published by JAMA. This is a 2022, and then one in Nature, uh, Peter Doshi over at uh, British Medical Journal. All these things sort of bringing up concerns, you know, real significant concerns about this. Yeah. So this is not just uh, idle speculation going on here. Um, Absolutely not. No, indeed. And uh, okay, can you, um, are there, are there particular really famous players obviously you know we don't know we don't know any of this but i mean are there particular famous players who you have you know significant concerns that they might might have been injured in this way um well certainly there's been a, a couple of very high profile cases obviously christian erickson in, in the euros uh was probably the first one um but again yeah. nobody knows uh yeah. who was vaccinated who wasn't vaccinated and that's why we need to have the investigation to be able yes, to absolutely. to be able to sort these sort these things through. But certainly, um, somebody like Sergio Aguero, who had promoted the vaccines quite strongly on his social media accounts, ah. uh, he was he was forced to retire because he you know, with heart problems. Hmm. Um, so you can only assume if he's pushing it that strongly on his social media, then that that he would have been vaccinated for a start. Hmm. He's probably the most high profile footballer who's had to. Who's had to quit early because of because of heart problems? Yeah, yeah. Well, I um, read. Of course, I, I still don't know whether it's it, it's genuine. But I I looked at an article again. I'll put it in the notes, and um, he is quoted as saying that he doesn't know whether it was the injections that triggered this or whether it was COVID, which implies, of course, that he was in fact uh, injected. If, if he did indeed said that, um, so even in his own mind. He's questioning whether that might be the case. So he retired at 33, is that right? That's quite young, isn't it? For uh... It is in this day and age where players keep themselves a, a lot fitter than perhaps we did in my day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. right. 
Um, okay, so I mean, earlier you said that you know you felt that this whole pandemic thing was bigger than a lot of people tend to think. Um, we were given to understand, you know, this was a novel virus that needed a response. And so the response has, has happened. There was only one solution. It was these vaccines and now they've been rolled out and it's it's all over now. Um, that's the, the kind of very simplistic narrative. But you mentioned other things like, you know, the Great Reset, uh, the World Economic Forum, digital currency and various things. You've already mentioned those. Do you see this as a much bigger, I will say political, but I mean in the biggest sense, you know, not party political. You, you see this as a much bigger almost global political reality behind this oh uh, i mean if if you don't if you don't suspect that there's something uh, ulterior going on then I, then I think you are deluding yourself and you're living under a rock mm. and you haven't bothered to do the slightest piece of research into all this mm. uh, quite frankly because the evidence is there for for everyone to see uh, and it's glaringly obvious and the only reason why mm. uh, people won't see it is because the media are complicit in it uh, and and won't talk about it have you heard any i don't think i've heard a single reporter uh ask a question in a press conference to a member of the government <laughs> that has mentioned yeah. either the world economic yeah. forum or the great reset um all of these things which are being openly spoken about um, uh, you know, e politicians all around the world, all in lockstep, using the "build back better" phrase. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All yeah. of a sudden, uh, and if you if you don't think that that's not <laughs> that that's not been pre-planned uh, as a as a message coming out of there, then uh, I'm afraid you're you're willfully sitting there and encouraging on your own enslavement. Mm. Has this therefore changed your view of the political landscape? Do you still think in terms of, you know, political parties and left and right and who you're going to vote for this time and all that sort of thing? Do you still think that way? <laughs> uh, our, uh, the, there is no democracy in our country. Yeah. Um, mm. So your vote means absolutely nothing in this country, no matter what party you vote for. Uh, they are not really in control uh we have an illusion of democracy in this country mm. um you know if you think boris is is the one making the decisions <laughs> if you think that liz truss is going to be the one making the decisions for this country then i'm afraid you're completely out of touch with reality um uh, and mm. quite frankly uh <laughs> the political system in this country i think is broke beyond repair and needs scrapping mm. and we need to come up with something a lot better absolutely uh, so you wouldn't be uh, putting all your hopes in Keir Starmer either oh <laughs> that's, <end> of it. <laughs> that, that's Keir Starmer who I just happened to do a little bit of research into him who was a member of the trilateral commission trilateral um, <laughs> you're gonna say that you know, yes sitting on yes. the trilateral commission mm. with Jeffrey Epstein um mm. and also um Interesting that, that Keir Starmer was also in charge uh, of the department where uh, Jimmy Savile was um, right. you know, not enough evidence to hmm. to go after that prolific paedophile. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't say I would say I've probably got less trust in Keir Starmer than I have in, in, in all the other politicians, quite frankly. Yeah. Yeah, and the Trilateral Commission, was a few decades back, they were producing, I can't remember the name of the document, but a famous document where they were complaining about too much democracy Indeed. in the world. Um, <laughs> I'll link to that one as well. Uh, amazing. Um, so you, you said that, you know, there's got to be a different way of approaching things. So you're very much more thinking in terms of presumably 
peaceful direct action by yeah. people and civil disobedience peaceful, and, and, civil, and that peaceful sort of thing. civil disobedience yeah. non-compliance uh, on a mass scale yep. um, uh, and i think you can then start changing things yeah essentially not to go along with these things which are infringing upon our rights etc exactly. just say no and just put the inertia on <laughs> yeah indeed right well i suppose i would like to have one final invitation to you if that's okay it's been a fascinating conversation. I'm very grateful to you for having this chat. No problem. Um, but I'm going to put something to you and invite you to respond to it. Is that okay? Sure. Because um, this is something I've been looking at for you know, a few interviews uh, in the past few months, really. This idea that it's all over. <laughs> um, we can get back to normal. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> There's nowhere near all over. I mean, have you seen the, the energy prices yeah. that are going to force businesses to shut this winter? and force people into poverty and it just this is nowhere near over mm. and this is deliberate destruction of our economy um so all right so this is not all over okay so there is something of i think a lot of people are saying this is something of uh, you know a class war in the sense of a, a war of the privileged elite protecting themselves against everybody else some classic stuff um yeah all right so what would your main message then be to listeners um, bearing in mind also that you know some people will be sports people, footballers, etc. What would your main message be going forward now before we close? Um, I think my main message would be uh, for people to try to understand, do a little bit of digging to try to understand what's going on. Um, because if you don't understand what's going on, you can't fight your enemy. If you don't know your enemy, you can't fight it. Uh, so you have to understand what's going on first. Uh, and then you come up with a plan to fight your enemy. Um, uh, and until uh, there's enough people that uh, know who the enemy are, uh, because let's be honest, there are a very small minority of people who uh, run the world mm. uh, and they are doing their very best to control everybody else. And the only reason they can do that is because the majority don't understand their power, the power that they have over these people um and so i would encourage you to understand what's going on in the world and don't give your power away to other people absolutely thank you ever so much fantastic message well it has indeed been a great pleasure to speak to you matt um indeed a privilege uh, to have you on the show thank you, um so thank you ever so much also for your efforts to bring these concerns to various bodies that you're trying to persuade to take this seriously um and for your your bravery really over these last couple of years in speaking out when so many haven't spoken out to uh, yeah. you know, timid to do so so thanks for doing that no problem um so and thanks very much for this conversation it's been it's been wonderful actually thank you no problem julian good to talk to you Show notes for this program can be found at The Mind Renewed, themindrenewed.com. Podcast music by Anthony Rajakoff, attribution non-commercial share alike 4.0 international. You have been listening to me, Julian Charles, and my guest, Matt Letizier. And I very much look forward to speak to you again in the very near future.